is with us, just bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for this morning. Thank you for a time just to get to pour out our hearts to you, to worship you and to praise you for, for who you are and what you've done for us. And we do ask that you would meet us here this morning. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you, um, to hear from your word, to hear what you'd have to say to each one of us from the ten simple verses of, in Jonah chapter 3. I just thank you for this little journey you've taken us on as a church as, as we follow Jonah along. And I pray that you would make it real to us today. Help us to apply um, this Old Testament history to uh, our, our modern day situation. We just ask for your grace in all this. And we just thank you for being here with us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's see here. Um, we are going to be reading from... It's page uh, 917 in your house Bible, if you have a house Bible with you. Page 917, Jonah chapter 3. Before we get started, I just wanted to share a, just an interesting thing I saw on, on the news recently, um, and, and also another interesting thing, uh, relates to signs. Uh, you know, I don't know if you see those people on the sides of the street sometimes with their cardboard signs. And, uh, you know, whether it's asking for money or whatever it is. Um, so I saw one the other day. I was coming back from the Auraria campus. And I saw one on the corner of, like, Spear and Auraria. This guy holding a sign. It was probably the most unique sign I've seen yet. Um, but it said, uh, it said this. The guy had a sign. You know, he's looking kind of dirty, long hair, you know, uh, just kind of like he's had a hard day or a hard life. But, but his sign read this. It said, uh, my wife was kidnapped by ninjas, need money for karate lessons. And that, I was like, very interesting. That was creative. You know, a lot of people say, I need money, I'll, I'm willing to work. This guy was just, you know, out there just being silly because everyone probably knew he's probably not going to spend his money on ninja lessons, you know. Um, but uh, I thought it was pretty creative. Then I saw another one, the one that was on the news. Some of you might have seen it. Excuse me. Um, there was one on the news last night about a a mom that uh, was disciplining her son. Did anyone see that article? Woo! That was a pretty serious one. So this uh, Nine News had it in one of their feature articles last night. But um, this mom, I guess, caught her son stealing from her, stealing from her purse, used her credit card for different expenses or something or another. And so um, she caught him, and she said, "All right, here's I got two options for you. One is I press charges against you for your theft of." you know, my stuff. The other is, you wear this sign out, uh, I think it was on Thornton Parkway or something like that, out on Thornton Parkway that says, I lied and stole from my mother, or something like that. I, I lied, 120th, yeah, up there. So, I lied and stole from my mother. So, they had this picture, this guy out there, this cardboard sign front and back, I, I lied and stole from my mom. And he's out there walking around, and he, he had to do it, I think, for six hours yesterday. And it was very interesting. He was, he was actually kind of repentant. He was kind of like, I'm never going to do that again. His, uh, his little brother had the fear of God in him. His little guy's going, I'm never going to do that either. <laughs> Learn from my brother's mistakes here. But it was, a, it was a very interesting form of discipline there that I was, I was amazed that they aired it on 9 News. That was, that was pretty cool. So I guess as our kids get older, we might have to try the cardboard sign treatment to them or something. <laughs> I don't know, but no. Anyways, 
That may or may not relate to Jonah chapter 3 here today. Um, but we'll read, uh, so if you're here, you got your house Bibles. Again, page 917, Jonah chapter 3. Here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne and took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So, wow, this is quite a change here from from chapter chapter 2 when Jonah was taking a ride in the whale here. I got really close to showing a Jonah VeggieTales clip this morning, but we are running low on time. We can loan it to you if you want to. I did watch it yesterday, or at least part of it, to kind of refresh myself of the, the whole story again. Um, but no, the, the clip we almost watched was kind of the transition between chapter 2 and chapter 3, and it's a, a part where Jonah's in the whale, and these green bean angels come and visit him inside the whale, and they sing the song, that He's a God of Second Chances. It's a gospel song, and it's really got a cool beat to it, but it was about five minutes long, so we decided not to bring it there. But, um, you know, then it transitions from the whale spits him out onto the beach, and, and that's where we are today. You know, Jonah has been spit out on the, on the dry land, as, as Brad liked to put it, it was vomited on the dry land, and I, I counted, I think, 33 times he said vomit in that message last week, but no, I'm just joking. It was a, it was a lot of good times there. Um, but... But now, um, now Jonah really does. He, he gets a second chance. So we've got some handouts. I hope you got a handout. We're going to try to fill in these blanks as we go here. Um, but the first one might be obvious. Um, God gave Jonah a second chance. And, you know, I just love uh, that the first sentence of the first two verses here. We'll just read them again. Um, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. It was a lot like the word of the Lord that came to Jonah the first time when he commanded him to go to the same city and he had a message for him. But, um, you know, the, the first time, obviously, Jonah didn't do it. But God, God gave him a second chance. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the ways we're just going to start things rolling here is just by realizing that God is a God of second chances. You know, Jonah really screwed things up. He made a huge mess. He was supposed to go, you know, east. He went west. He was supposed to go north. He went south. He was supposed to go by land. He went by water. 
Um, and in the process, he really rocked a boatload of people and got their ship about to sink. They lost their cargo. Uh, he then got swallowed by a whale. Well, he almost drowned. Got swallowed by a whale. Hung out in a whale for three days. Got regurgitated onto the shore. All of that, you know, I think it's kind of funny. All of that just fits in this word then. Then. After all that, that's, here's where we are, you know. And um, But, you know, I, I think we can look at our own lives sometimes and just go, you know, ask the question, have you messed up? Have you really blown it in some area of your life? Have you sinned against God? Have you been disobedient? Um, the first time, the first chapter, we just asked that question, is there anything God wants you to do that you haven't done, um, that you've been avoiding? Or vice versa, is there anything you're doing God wants you to stop so that you can get on it? But have you messed things up? Um, that's, that's our question. Have you messed up? Have you sinned? Have you been disobedient to God? And do you want a second chance? Would you like a second chance in some area of your life? Do you need a second chance? You know, I think there's ways that we can um, get second chances, big ways and little ways. You know, um, I think sometimes when it comes to, to relationships, uh, some of you have a story kind of like me. I, I was not following Christ for many years. Through college I was not. And I made a lot of mistakes when it came to relationships. And finally when I became a Christian, I realized I could have a second chance and do relationships God's way instead of my way. My way made a huge mess, a lot like Jonah. There was a lot of vomiting, a lot of other things that happened along the way. Um, that was mostly due to my drinking and stuff like that. But um, have you messed up finances? You know, God is a God of second chances uh, with finances. I think of Alan shared his story. Um, I know when we were in Asia, he was sharing the story that God gave him, how he got into a, a hole financially of over $50,000 in debt. And he ended up turning it over to God and doing things God's way. And God got him out of the debt and gave him a successful business. But he gave Alan a second chance. He's given me a second chance. He's given many of you second chances. And, and, and maybe you need a second chance. Maybe you want a second chance. You know, that's the question to you this morning, do you? And it doesn't have to be in gigantic ways like that. I, I think of um, other ways, uh, little things. You know, the story I share, another um, question is maybe we do want a second chance. But sometimes we want a second chance without, um, without changing our mind about what we were doing wrong in the first place. You know, Jonah got a second chance because the then included a lot of things. He, he like I say, you know, he caused a huge storm. He um, got thrown overboard. They lost a lot of their cargo. He was in a whale. Can you imagine just being in a whale for three days? I, part of that, I think you'd be claustrophobic. Um, part of that, I think you'd get hungry and thirsty. I think it'd be hard to breathe in there. I imagine it would stink. He was somewhat partially digested, I'm sure, along the way. Um, and, but all of that led to his repentance. You know, he had a change of heart. And sometimes we want a second chance. We want God is so gracious, He's so merciful, He'll give me a second chance. But God doesn't do both. He doesn't let you keep your sin, your disobedience, and give you a second chance. He will continue to discipline you if, if you haven't responded. If you want a second chance, and are you willing to turn your back on, on sin or disobedience that's been going on there? Because um, if you are willing to repent and turn from your sin and acknowledge God is right, God's way is right and your way is wrong, then God is willing to give you a second chance. That's in big matters of your life, relationships, finances, careers, whatever it is, and in little matters. Just Maybe there's odds and ends, day-to-day things. I know in my life there was a situation here where I feel like God just recently gave me a second chance. Um, and it has to do with our, our campus ministry out, uh, out on the Auraria campus there. A couple weeks ago, 
We've been trying to figure out ways to um, make our time maybe a little more spiritual on campus. We play volleyball. We, we jokingly call it casting the nets. You know, we get our volleyball net out there, and there'll be 30, 40 people, maybe more, that will show up to play volleyball. But then sometimes we try to figure out how do we make this more than just a bunch of Christians playing volleyball with a bunch of people that aren't Christians and try to figure out maybe we share testimonies. We used to bring pizza, and so we kind of have an even more captive audience. You know, we have volleyball and then pizza at halftime, and then we share a testimony. This year we've been trying to figure out what to do. But a couple weeks ago, I felt like God put it on my heart. Okay, we're going to have like a halftime sort of deal, and you're just going to stop everything, get people's attention. You're going to share the gospel really briefly, and then we'll get on with it. And, you know, I was thinking about it all day. I was kind of anxious about it all day. We got to it. I kind of tried to get people's attention, and it just really didn't work. Um, there was a lot of people. They were kind of spread out. I was trying to get people's attention. There was a group of people talking in the back and, you know, uh, just being really loud. And I know one of the guys said to someone in, in that bunch, oh, this is where they do their recruiting, you know. And so they had them. And then a new bunch of people showed up that I hadn't seen before about, looked like a dozen teenagers that I don't even know if they belonged on campus. And then we had our regular volleyball players. But by the time I tried to get going, I just, I just punted on it. I'm just like, hey, we're Christians. We go to church together. Come join us. Let's get back to the volleyball game. And I just went home after that time feeling miserable. I told my wife, you know, she said, how did it go? And I was like, terrible. I didn't hardly share anything. It was dumb. I didn't know what I was saying. Um, someone's wallet got stolen. Someone's cell phone got stolen. It was, a whole, it was just a big mess. Um, but in some ways, I felt like maybe a little bit like Jonah. And so this last week, um, I thought, God, you know, maybe you could do this again. Maybe you can give me a second chance. And so we're out there doing the same, same routine, playing volleyball again. And this time we did just take an official timeout. And, um, you know, I just felt like God wanted me to share the gospel briefly but clearly. And so we called timeout. We gathered our people around. There were some people there that, uh, you know, they were swearing and heckling during the volleyball game. But I also thought, hey, this is a captive audience right here. They were sitting there. They weren't going anywhere. And I got to share the gospel. And I got to share some things from my testimony. And I felt like God gave me a second chance and then he blessed it. And then there were some follow-up conversations after, after that sharing that I got to talk with a guy for about an hour that I've known him for uh, many weeks of playing volleyball and never had a spiritual conversation. And I just felt like God gave me a second chance in a little way. But maybe you need a second chance. Maybe it's with someone to share with. Maybe as a parent, you've blown it with your kids recently. You need a second chance. Maybe in marriage, you need another chance here. Or in a relationship or in school. I just want to let you know, if you've had a change of heart, you've gotten right with God, He's willing to give you a second chance. Um, He's a God of second chances. You know, that's a... We'll maybe play that video afterwards here. Um, The next thing we're going to look at is um, just this. You know, um, God, the blank is God bless Jonah's obedience. And we're just going to look at um, this here. I love how verse 3 simply says, Jonah obeyed. You know, the whole first two chapters where Jonah didn't obey and it made a huge mess. We had two chapters to give us the details about that. This one, it just simply reads, Ah, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Thank you. This could have been a longer book in the Bible here. Um, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. And it was a very important city, and it required uh, three days. And um, but I just—that's the part that Jonah went to Nineveh, and, and God blessed his obedience. Um, you know, Nineveh 
we haven't given you a ton of the background. Nineveh was a, a huge city at the time. You know, it reads in the Bible there there was 120,000 men in the city. Um, it was the capital of Assyria. Uh, I read some different descriptions from, from history and, and archaeology, and they say that the city was so large, you know, when it says a very important city, um, it took three days to travel around. They say the city had this wall. It was right on the, oh, the Tigris or the Euphrates River. I forget which one now. But it was right on the river there and it had a wall that was 100 feet high. It was 50 feet in thickness. And they said to walk around the wall of the city, if you did 20 miles a day, it would take you three days to walk around the city. It was huge. It was strategic and it was wicked. They were known for, um, you know, if the indications from history are accurate, they were known for... Uh, they said flaying the, their prisoners, their enemies that they caught, they flayed them alive, which I don't exactly know what flaying means, but it sounds like flaying, like with fish or meat or something, but it doesn't sound like a good thing. It said they would pile their skulls in a pile of the enemies that they conquered. Nahum in the book, uh, in the Old Testament, talks about it. it would pile up their dead bodies. It was just a city full of wickedness. Um, and that's where God sent Jonah, and I think that's part of why Jonah probably didn't want to go there. It's like going into... Uh, I don't know, a, a, a earthly version of hell or something. And but, but he went, and he obeyed this time, and God did some awesome things. But we're just going to look at some, something hopefully we learned in the last couple chapters here, is that God will discipline your disobedience. You know, God has a couple, what we'll see in this chapter, I see two kind of ways that God operates with mankind, two protocols he has, one with his own people and one with those that maybe don't know him. But with his own people, if he calls you to do something and you don't do it, what happens? Discipline. And then if he's gracious, uh, he'll let you try again. And if you don't obey that time, what happens? Disciplines you again. And, and if you don't get it, he disciplines you again. And, you know, it's kind of like if you're writing this computer program. I was trying to think of how you would phrase this. But it's some sort of loop that says, if obey equals no, then get the smackdown from God. Uh, and then try again. If obey equals no, get the smack down from God and try again. And eventually, if obey equals yes, you get on with the next thing. You get on with God's blessing. It'd be a real simple computer program to write. Um, but but sometimes we get stuck in life, and it's kind of like this program, and it's the same thing happening over and over. And, you know, again, God disciplined Jonah. And, again, we, we see violent storm. He almost drowned. He was closed into this whale. It was hard to breathe. It was stinky. He was hungry, thirsty, partially digested, vomited out. You know, if you see any of these symptoms in your life right now, you're probably getting disciplined by God, you know? And maybe throw out the partially digested or the stinky might qualify. Um, but, uh, but he was getting disciplined by God. And, you know, he was given a second chance and the next time he obeyed. But I, I think we just have to watch in our lives. There's those times where we have something we're just stuck in. God disciplines us. We don't get it. We get to try again. He disciplines us and we're just stuck. And you know what eventually happens in that loop if you don't get it? Uh, it's called Proverbs 29.1. Um, a man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will be destroyed suddenly without remedy. You don't get it over and over again. The Bible talks about, we, we read the book of 1 John uh, um, last month, but it talks about sin that leads to death. You know, my understanding of sin that leads to death is if you don't get it and you sin and you sin and you sin, eventually God just says, you're done. You're my child, I'm bringing you home, you're done. And there's places where it's said, Ananias and Sapphira were believers in the book of Acts. They were done. It talks in the book of Corinthians, it says, the number of you have fallen asleep, you've died because you're just continuing in sin. 
And if you don't pull out of this cycle, uh, I think God might pull some Proverbs 29.1. It's not a good thing. But if you do, it's much better news. You know, God will bless your obedience. Jonah went from this whole big mess here to, um, it's arguably the largest revival, single revival ever recorded in the history of the world was at the preaching of Jonah. 120,000 men, women, cattle, all sorts of things. The, the huge revival all at once. He just started preaching and it spread like wildfire. The, what a huge difference from his disobedience to his obedience. And in any area of your life, if you're stuck in one of those cycles, you just need to know if you don't get it, just keep getting God's discipline and eventually you get some serious discipline. Um, and if you do get it, the other is true. God will bless your socks off. Jonah, you know, you look at his life, you look at his attitude. It's hard to say that he was the prophet most qualified to lead the greatest revival in history. But God graciously used him because he obeyed. Are you ready to obey in some area? And are you ready for God's blessing in that? Um, the next thing we're going to look at here, our, our third, third point out of four, um, just God caused the Ninevites, well, God caused revival in Nineveh. You know, it wasn't, you know, Jonah got to be the guy that preached it, but it wasn't because of Jonah's, uh, you know, overflowing spirituality, holiness, all of the above. Some, some think that uh, there was a few things that play in the city of Nineveh. There is recorded during that time several famines that hit the empire, the Assyrian empire, um, that are near the time when Jonah spoke there. There's also a, a record of a, like a total eclipse or something like that that would have gotten their attention. Some say that Jonah showed up on the scene and his skin was faded or corroded or something and he shows up and he's weird looking and they hear the story, he survived a whale. They worshiped a, a fish god in, in uh, Nineveh and so they say maybe this guy that showed up looking half faded in his skin... Um, it was a sign to them, and then it just freaked them out, and it put the fear of the Lord on them. Who knows all the different things, but just what we do know is that God brought about a revival there. Um, some of the verses we have on that is, after he preached, you know, the, the only words that they have recorded from Jonah's message, eight words, you know, it was like 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, you know, not even enough words to make a haiku. It was just a, a short little message, and um, and yet... The, the thing that was set into motion, the revival that was set into motion, uh, is kind of, it's not compared in, in the rest of history, you know. And so, um, in such a short period of time, such a vast revival. But so the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. And it goes on to say, when God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he had compassion on them. And just a few things we're going to look at when it comes to Revival. These are two words here that are, are actually not mentioned in this chapter. Revival is not mentioned in Jonah chapter 3, and neither is repentance. Though they're not mentioned, they are very clearly described in, in what we see in the chapter here. And so, um, we're just going to look at some marks. Really, uh, revival, in its definition, it means uh, an awakening, uh, waking up again, something like that, being revived to become alive again. Spiritual revival, at the heart of spiritual revival, is repentance. It's a changing your mind about um, sin and changing your mind about God. And, and that's at the heart of revival. I'm just going to fly through a couple quick marks of the revival that went on here. You can write them down if, you know, as fast as you can or whatever. But um, the first one related to revival and this 
spiritual revival and this repentance was that it was sparked by the Word of God. Jonah brought a message from God. Eight words is all that's recorded. Probably there were more to it, but uh, this whole revival was sparked by a message. God's Word sparked this revival. Um, another part of the revival that I think is awesome is that they believed God. You know, I, I would have think it, it, I think it would have read, they believed Jonah. Jonah told him God's going to bring the smack down because of your evil ways. But it says God gave this message to Jonah. Jonah took the message to the people, and the people believed God. And, boy, in some ways that's just refreshing to hear. How many times do you and I, as messengers of God, go to people and they're like, I don't believe a word that you're saying. I don't believe the source that you've got. I don't believe in God. And it's just kind of frustrating. But how refreshing that he shared this message from God and they believed God by the time he was done. You know, I, I've not seen that so much as uh, on our mission trip this summer. We went to, uh, to Asia and we got to share with some students just the, the good news uh, about God's love and forgiveness. And there was some, in Hong Kong we shared at a camp and we just had a, a little over a day, a day and a half with the students there. But we just started talking to them, this, the warning about God will punish us all for our sin. But there's good news that if you look to Jesus, He will forgive you. Um, and you know what? They believed, they believed it. They believed what the Bible said. They didn't argue. They didn't have their intellectual things. They were like, whoa, yeah, we have sinned against God. Wow, He's willing to forgive us. Awesome. I want Christ in my life. It was such a simplicity. It was, it was amazing. And then we come back to the U.S. and we're like, ah, I don't believe anything. That you know, They don't even want to hear anything from the Bible or God, much less... You know, it's just, it's just refreshing. When God brings revival, He brings people that believe the message. They believe the warning. They heed the warning and they receive Christ. Some other things here, um, they believe God. You know, their, their repentance, it led to repentance, but it was repentance that could be seen. I think we have a definition here. You know, their repentance wasn't just, oh, you know, they could have just verbally said, we've sinned against God, woe is me. And they get on, they kept doing the same things, but their, their repentance was seen in their actions. Um, Love this definition. Repentance is a change of mind, which leads to a change of heart, which leads to a change of action. Repentance is, uh, it's not a, sometimes I think we think repentance is a change of mouth. Uh, I change what I say. I used to not say I was a Christian. Now I say I'm a Christian. Well, that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for a change in your life, a change in actions. I've got a, a friend here recently that's, um, has claimed to call himself a Christian for a number of years, brought up in a Christian home. And, you know, you look at his life, and, and I think it becomes clear there's, there's a change of mouth. He, he would call himself a Christian, but there's no change of mind, no change of heart, no change of actions. It's gotten to the point where his family has started praying that he would become a Christian. And he doesn't really like to hear that. But you look at life, and, and you don't see a life of repentance. And, and I think there's many people who might claim to be Christians that really... But Nineveh... I love how it says this last line here. God says, uh, I saw their repentance. You know, I saw what they did and how they turned from their sin. Their, their repentance was so thick that you could see it, that God saw it. That's a sign of revival as well. Um, let's keep going here. They declared a fast is another sign. You know, they were, just took action to, to um, humble themselves. They declared a fast. They put on sackcloth. Um, uh, a revival, another mark of revival is that it spread, it was contagious. It started somewhere in the city. Eventually the word made it to the king and the king had this big proclamation, but it spread, it was contagious, part of a revival. 
I love how they, they took it so far that they even had their animals join in on the fasting and the sackcloth. Is that just strange? You know, like, I'm not going to water or feed you. And imagine, you know, cutting out a little sackcloth thing to put on your dog and go like, I'm suffering and so are you, you know. Um, and then it said that they called out urgently to God. They, they, you know, they turned their back on the comforts of food and water and, and comfortable clothing and even that for their animals as well. But then they called urgently on God and someone... I read recently they made the comments that, can you imagine the sound that was coming from that city? It says very clearly here there was a lot of livestock in that city. You know, what do livestock do when they get hungry? Jeff, you, you know, any hints for us? They, yeah, they get really loud. But can you imagine a city full of livestock that's not been fed for three days and a city full of people, 120,000 plus wives, kids, crying out to God? Can you imagine the sound that was coming from there? They were urgent to call out to God to change their ways. Then it it went on to say they wanted to give up their evil ways. And these were all just marks of what God did there. Jonah showed up. He shares his eight words. And God rocked the city of Nineveh. And and that's just an awesome thing. But um, I don't know about you, but I think we need some revival like that uh, in our country. We need that uh, in our city. Um, we need a lot of revival. There's been some different things going on. I got to go to this uh, speaker recently that spoke uh, at an alternative pregnancy ministry, and it was Bruce Wilkinson, and he just brought a ton of statistics of what's going on in our country when it comes to killing the unborn. And he said recently our, our administration has taken money and funds that were allocated for abstinence programs in schools, and it's reallocated it for uh, abortion programs. And, and he just went on and shared some of the staggering statistics. I think about how people are actively working to remove anything that has to do with God from schools, from buildings, from, you know, uh, it's being left out of the Declaration of Independence. They're trying to, you know, it's carved into buildings and they want to get rid of it. And it's just amazing how far our country has come. Um, but I think we're, we're due some revival. I think about marriage. You know, there's just this attack to bring down marriage. God is said, you know, marriage and, and the intimacy and the blessing of sex is supposed to occur in marriage. And, and that's where he says he'll bless and people try to break God's design for marriage. Having sex before marriage. Having sex after they've been married with someone else. Having sex in a way that's not even uh, God's design of a man and a woman. And uh, they're just trying to destroy God's design. And we are living in days that maybe we're not putting piles of skulls uh, like they were in Nineveh, but, you know, maybe we are. There's a lot of bodies that are showing up from our activities here. And, um, but it's easy to get fired up. You know, I think about this. Billy Graham had this quote that I, that I read that I thought relates to this as well. Um, and he said, um, he said this, uh, he said this 20 years ago, which, which I'm kind of struck by. 1989. Some of you we've talked about recently how some of you were born in 1989. That's too bad. I graduated high school in 1989 and you were born then. Wow. Um, but anyways, when you were born, here's what Billy Graham said. This is the world you were born into. But he said, we've lost sight of the fact that some things are always right and some things are always wrong. We've lost our reference point. We don't have any moral philosophy to undergird our way of life in this country. And our way of life is in serious jeopardy and serious danger unless something happens. And that something must be a spiritual revival. You know, isn't it true you can't say that something's right or wrong anymore? I mean, that was 20 years ago, Billy Graham's preaching this. How much more in this postmodern era? 
You know, who are you Christians to say you've got something that's absolutely right or absolutely wrong? It's growing more and more unpopular. People are going to want to squelch out our voice. Um, But we need, I love what he says here, we need something needs to happen and that something must be a spiritual revival. And, you know, I get fired up sometimes when I think about a revival in our country. You know, I want to be like, uh, a while back, Promise Keepers did this uh, million-man march on Washington, D.C., where a bunch of guys just flew out there, drove out there, whatever. They went to Washington, D.C. to fast and pray for our nation. Uh, I didn't get to go on it, but I feel like we should do that again, you know. And I want to get out there and just kind of start going Old Testament prophet and walking through the streets and turning things over, you know. Some of you are wired like me, and I think about Jesus. He went out into the temple and he cracked the whip and said, you guys are making this a place for robbers. And he overturned the tables. But you know, if revival is going to happen, you know where it needs to start first? It needs to start first right here with the messengers of God. This revival in Nineveh did not happen until Jonah started being obedient. Sometimes we want revival in our nation. And God says, you need to overturn the tables in your life first. And then you start worrying about your neighbors and your nation. We need to see revival come about first in our lives. And, and then work our way out there. Sometimes we want the one without the revival inside of us. And I think God wants to do both. I think there's some things He wants to turn over in our lives. And He wants us to take that to the city and to the nation and to the world. But we, we can be praying for that. We need to be calling out urgently to God for something like that. But it must start first, like it did with Jonah. And Jonah finally obeyed and delivered God's Word. And then God backed his message there. The last thing we're going to look at here, we need to wrap it up, but um, it's just that God relented. You know, um, it says here, He saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion. He did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. God relented. Um, and, you know, I think of these four points, in some ways, if we were to review them, it's kind of like uh, the first one would be sent. God sent Jonah again. Point two, Jonah went which is good. And Nineveh did repent and God did relent. God had mercy. You know, you can make a rhyme out of that. That might be a haiku as well. Um, but we need to have a coffee house again, don't we? And to have to get our haikus and poetry out there. So much pent up here. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but anyways, um, God relented. He had compassion. And now, again, we talked about a protocol of how God deals with His people. He calls us to obey. If we don't, He disciplines us. And He disciplines us, and He disciplines us until we get it, until we obey, or else He seriously disciplines us. But with those that don't know God, it kind of has a different mode of operating. And, and we see that with Nineveh. They were not the Jewish people. They were not the one given the, uh, the prophets and the writings of God. But, um, but He warned them. He gave them a warning. And then, based on how they responded, He had either like the plan A or the plan B. And that's kind of one of God's protocols in operating with other people. You know, um, you can read in, uh, turn there with me real quickly, in Jeremiah 8.18, it kind of tells us. Sometimes, you know, people will say, well, look, you know, the Bible says God doesn't change His mind, but He changed His mind right there, doesn't He? Didn't He? Well, not if you understand what what was actually going on. Um, Jeremiah 8.18 here, um, your house Bibles is... 757, is that what it is? Uh, whoops, Jeremiah 8.18. Uh, I'm not finding it there. Where did it go? Hold on one second here. 
Oh, maybe it's 18.8. Sorry, I'm going to get that backwards. There we go. I hope it's there. There we go, it is. Um, so, Jeremiah 18, verse 7 and 8. But here's, here's what God was doing. God didn't change his mind. God had a plan. And here's, here's how it operated. It says, If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. God has this policy that when he, he'll warn people, people, you know, in this case, the Ninevites didn't know him. They weren't the ones that were regularly worshiping him. So he warned them. And he gave them warning. And it, as had they responded to the warning wrong, he would have followed through and judged all of them right there and then. And that happens many times in the Old Testament. People did not respond to his warning. Usually he gave them a number of warnings. But in this case, he warned them and they responded with this revival, with this repentance. And what did he do? He spared them. He had mercy. He had compassion because they had a, a change of mind and heart and action. And God had mercy on them. And um, So, you know, I just think we need to, to realize that God, when we repent, when we change our ways, God is there with compassion and, and mercy. And, and really, God is there with compassion the whole time. You know, sometimes I think of the just the image of God being this Father who's got His arms out open to us just to give us this huge hug. And, and usually what happens is when we're in sin, God's got His arms out to hug us and we got our back to Him like this, you know. And what, what changes, you know, when, when things finally change, does God change? No, God's still there going like, hey, I love you, I'm ready to embrace you. What has to change is we need to turn around, we need to come to our senses and come to our Father who's, who's there to embrace us, you know. And, and that's, we see God's compassion here. God loves these people he had a heart for them, even though they were wicked. He, he wanted to spare them. He wanted to show them compassion, but they had to turn to Him, and they did. And that same thing is true for us in our, our New Testament relationship with God. You know, um, there's Jeremiah 18, oh, yeah, 18, 8, sorry, on that one. But um, He has that same kind of thing with us in, in the New Testament. Jesus, this is one of His first recorded messages in the Gospel of Mark, but Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. And believe the good news. Turn from your sin and believe the good news about your Savior, Jesus. And, you know, the time has come. Jonah gave them a 40-day warning. He said, look, here, in 40 days, the time is coming and you're going to get judgment from God. We don't have a number of days put here, but throughout the Scripture, I'm always amazed at how many times it says it's near. It's coming soon. And if you think about, you know, uh, eternity and our time on earth, you think about... Before God created us, and from eternity past, you draw a line infinitely in one direction. And then somewhere along the way, He created us in time and space here. And when our time is done, there's going to be infinity uh, in the other direction. No time. You know, it's where the clocks get tired of working and they stop working. There's no measure of time. And so that's where I think God can say, it's soon. Because it's already been this long and it's got this long. And what you've got is soon, men and women. He's coming soon. It'll be soon. His kingdom is near. Are you going to be in His kingdom or are you going to be out of His kingdom being punished? You know, and the same is true. God just wants us, you and I, to get out and warn people. He's coming back soon. I was so blessed just to get the share of at the volleyball court the other day or out, out on the grass and just tell people one of the reasons we share as Christians is Jesus told us to and, and He's changed my life and, and He's coming back. He really is coming back. And if He returns... He's either going to find you, you know, looking to Him as, as your Savior, or He's going to be, find Himself rejected by you. And those have two vastly different eternities set before them. Um, 
I'll close with this verse here. There's one verse that really, I think, encapsulates the, the warning. You know, and it, it says this, that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And we need to get out there and warn people that um, they've sinned against God. You know, um, it was fun in, in Asia, the concept we shared, you know, sin wasn't fully understood. They understood crime. You know, we said, we have all committed crimes against God. And committing crimes against an eternal God brings an eternal punishment. And, and either you've got to pay for that eternal punishment or you believe Jesus did. And that's the good news is that Jesus did pay for that eternal punishment if you believe in Him. And if you don't, God's wrath is coming. It's coming soon. And our hope at the firehouse is that none of you would be a part of God's wrath, that you would be spared, you'd be rescued, you'd be saved from your crimes against God, and you'd find forgiveness in the love that God showed us in Jesus Christ. And all you have to simply do is just come to Him as a sinner and, and ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to come into your life as um, your Savior and your Lord and be a drastically different eternity than, than to reject the Son and have to face Him after He returns. Let's, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning. We thank you for just the example you, you gave us in Jonah, Lord, that through Jonah, you really used Jonah to showcase your mercy, your grace, how you do give second chances, how you discipline those you love, um, but you also bless those who obey. God, we thank you that you've put us here as messengers to warn other people of, of the judgment that is coming. And help us, Lord, to... Um, Help us to do that, to obey you in that. Help us, Lord, to have revival in our own lives, to be spiritually awakened by your word. God, I pray your word would be to us like a smelling salt that snaps us out of sleepwalking. God, help us to get on track and and revised for doing your will in this dark and fallen world. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, thank you guys for coming. And next week, Jeff will wrap things up with Jonah chapter 4.